I read a lot of things, magazine, newspaper, stuff off the internet, and sometimes I get a little bit envious. As much as I love pastoring this church, it's every week I see where there are churches, mega churches, to where thousands of people are just coming, multiple services on the weekend, packing the house, every service. I look at that, and it's, it's easy to be a little jealous of those big-name pastors with those big-name churches. And, I mean, they've got everything going on. It's like six flags over Jesus. I mean, it's a big deal. Coffee bars and all, just all kinds of stuff that's happening. Big slides coming right down the middle of the building for the kids. And you look at that and you tend to, tend to well, it can make, make a person a little bit on the jealous side, I guess. But as I study these churches, uh, I notice some things. The bigger a church becomes, the more important it is to focus on the small things. And certainly that includes the, the little things that happen to make the, make the services go on, to, make the, uh, to keep the whole machine running, I guess. Those things are important. And that's one of the reasons we put emphasis on our greeters and our ushers and our welcome and our hospitality on Sunday morning. Those are all small things that, that go into a bigger picture, but they're very, very important. Uh, what happens in our, our child care on Sunday morning? A small thing, but it's real. Well, it's not a small thing if you're in there with eight or nine of them. But, you know, it, it seems like, oh, this is just a small chunk, not really important. But it is. It's vitally important what goes on in the life of the church. But I've learned one other thing. Those churches that are most effective, those big churches that are most effective in fulfilling their mission in Jesus Christ have a very strong small group ministry. Now, they call it a lot of different things. Sunday school, life groups, home groups. We call them grace groups. But it's a very strong, uh, ongoing, vital ministry, small group ministry that they have in their churches. Now, I equate a lot of times, you probably do, big with being powerful. And I think in many ways it is. But when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ... Sometimes the greatest power comes from those small packages, those small groups that are scattered either in the building or in homes around our community. The Church of Jesus Christ, made up of smaller groups of committed believers who come together regularly and purposefully under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that is where you're going to discover a wealth of power that can transform the world. In fact, it can move us from being Sunday morning listeners to seven day a week, growing, maturing, engaging believers who are actually making contact with our world and making a difference in our community. And I got to tell you, the cure to my Monday morning megachurch pastor envy is to look at what God is doing with this church of about 300 I am amazed every week when I discover how you are not only coming together and worshiping, not only coming together to study God's Word, but how you are growing in your faith and how those connections that you have with other believers in that small group are, are encouraging you, are pushing you along, are helping you to grow in your faith, and how you're not simply content to sit and soak, but how you have a desire to get out both as individuals and even more so as a group where you can connect to people's lives, meet people where they are, and make a genuine difference in their lives. When I get some of those reports back on Monday, I'm so excited to hear what's going on in the life and the ministry of our grace groups. What it, I want to see this continue, but for it to continue, your church leaders being led by the Holy Spirit, 
which is vitally important. That we're not just off, you know, trying to do something, but that we are seeking God's wisdom, God's plan for us. That we create powerful opportunities and environments that encourage that spiritual growth, that we create the right kind of soil that enables you to grow spiritually. And not the only part, but a vital part of that is our grace group ministry. Many of you signed up this morning. If you didn't see it, sign up sheet, it'd be hard to miss. The sign up sheets are right on the other side of the, uh, of the wall there. And uh, you can sign up and plug yourself in right there, find you a group, the sheets, you'll notice many of them are, were left blank. You say, wait a minute, wasn't I in a group already? Have I been kicked out? Was I that bad? No, that's not the idea. Each year, what we want to have is a time around late summer, fall, where we encourage people to get connected who haven't been connected, to reconnect where perhaps you've disconnected a little bit. But also, you may say, hey, you know what? I, I think I might like to try something new. I might like to to go to a different place or meet on a different day or meet with a a different group of people. And this gives you a good opportunity to do that without going, you know, hurting your facilitator's feelings or your host's feelings. This gives you a good opportunity to try that. And so it's wide open right now. And if you've never signed up for a grace group before, I want to encourage you, try it. Give it six weeks of your life. I guarantee after that six weeks, you will want to stay connected. One of the things I look forward to during the week is reconnecting with the Grace Group every Wednesday. That's one of the things that I look forward to. It's become a vital, important part of my life as it has for many of you. And so you can sign up after the service if you haven't signed up. Sign-up sheets will be out there next week. They'll be here during the week if you want to come in during the week and sign up. It tells you who's leading it, who's facilitating it. It tells you who's hosting the group, the day, the time, and all those things. So you can see and see exactly where you fit in. Now you go, wait a minute. I, I'm new to Grace Fellowship. I don't really know what's a, what's a Grace group. I've never really... What, what is that kind of creature? Let me kind of give you just a brief definition. Grace groups are, are weekly gatherings where God's truth, that is God's word, and real life, that is applying it to real life situations, intersect in the context of genuine, loving relationships. In other words, it's not disconnected. We're not just learning and figuring out how to apply it. We're doing it in the context of people who care about us, who love us, and who want to see us grow. And, of course, we in return love them and care about them and want to see them grow. Our grace groups can be like miracle grow. They can, they can supercharge your, your spiritual life. They can, can move you further along this spiritual growth path that God has you on. But not if you don't connect to them. What I want you to hear this morning is a testimony of a couple of people who connected in a grace group, who found out what it means to be in genuine relationships. Let's watch this. Hello, my name is Miss Stella, and um, I believe that grace groups are important because, like myself, I'm new to the Word, and um, they're a support system to help begin to learn more about the Bible. And although I go to church on Sundays, you know, I have the whole week to kind of steer away. So if we meet in the middle of the week, then it's keeps me close to God and we meet people in the groups that become friends and call whenever you feel like you're kind of starting to stray or if you have a question about something it's um, 
somebody to have that answer. And also, it's a Christian friend. You know, everybody has friends, but they're not always a good person to be around. So it's better to meet those Christian friends. Hi, my name is Tashika. I'm a member of Beth Crow's Grace Group. And this group is important to me because this these group of ladies, they are like the best friends in the world. They listen to all of my problems. They, they're there for me in time of need, no matter what it is. You know, we have each other's phone numbers. No matter what time of night it is, I can call. Um, and the one thing about these ladies that I like is they don't judge. No matter how far-fetched you think your problem is, you, you just tell them and they listen and they try to come up with a solution. Or most of all, the most important thing, we pray about it. We pray about it, we give it to God, and we think positive and know that he will take care of us and he will handle it along with the ladies that we have around us. You don't have to be in a grace group. You can be alone in a crowd. You can drift along without connecting. You can struggle through life without a support group. You can be tempted and not have anyone to hold you accountable. You can try to learn truth but not really have context for it. And you can serve alone without sharing the load. But as I read the scriptures, I don't think that's God's design for our lives. He never intended us to be the Lone Ranger, flying solo. He intended for us to be connected with other believers, loving one another, caring about one another, growing in our faith, encouraging one another, challenging one another, and serving together. You see, we can be in relationship, a growing relationship with God, and a growing relationship with others, and that's what God wants for our lives. Case in point, If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 28 to 34. Would you stand with me this morning in honor of the reading of God's true and holy word? One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered, Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbors yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Heavenly Father, bring us alive to your word so that we might understand it and apply it to our lives. For We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Loving God and loving your neighbor. It sounds like it ought to be so simple, but it isn't. Not even for us who have been walking with Christ for some time. 
in your handout this morning, uh, there's a diagram. I'm going to put a similar diagram up here on the screen so that you can see it. There are really four directions, as you see, pointing up, down, left, and right. The upward direction indicates our love of God. That's an important component to our faith. The one to your right is to love neighbor, loving your neighbor. The one pointing down is being indifferent to God on the opposite end of the spectrum of loving him. And the one pointing to your left is being indifferent to your neighbor. Our lives are going to be pulled in two of these directions as it comes to our relationship with God and our relationship to our neighbor. We can love God, or at least say we love God, and kind of be indifferent towards the plight of our neighbor. Uh, We can say that we love others, but kind of be really low and be kind of indifferent towards God. We can be actually indifferent towards both God and others. That's possible. It happens all the time. But where God wants us to be is in that quadrant two up there. And our love for God and our love for our neighbor, that we be moving outward in those directions, horizontally to our neighbor, upward towards God, that we be moving along that path right there. That's where God calls us to be loving him and loving our neighbors as ourselves. As we gather together in our grace groups, we are encouraged to love God. That's part of why we're there. Each of us are at different stages in our spiritual walk. Look, take a moment, just, just look around at the people to your left and right, and if you're in the front, kind of look around at the person behind you. Go ahead, do it right now. No screaming, that's a good thing. Every person that you saw, it may have been your husband or your wife, it may have been your, your child or your parent, it may have been a friend, it may have been someone you, absolute stranger, but every one of those people was on a different place along their spiritual growth path. Every one of them. No two of us are at the exact same place in our spiritual growth and won't be until we finally get to heaven. We're all at different stages. Some of us have been walking with Christ for a long, long time. And we feel like, well, we're kind of well along that path. Others of us maybe made a commitment to Christ at some point in our lives, but somewhere along the way, our, our growth kind of got stunted. And we really never grew into this person that God was calling us to be. We're still kind of stuck walling around in diapers. And then there are some, and this is exciting, there are some who are here who have recently given their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. And in doing so, they, they have this vibrancy, this, this, this wonder, this, this hunger for God. We're all at different places along that spiritual growth path. Now, here's what happens. And I got to tell you, I, I'm excited. When I found out, when, when, when I looked at, at the folks who signed up and were part of our grace group over the last almost year, uh, as I looked at that, we have a wide variety of people in our group, probably as many as, as you do, a wide variety in your group. And so here's what's good. We can learn from one another about loving God. Let me give you an example. In our group, we've got some people who've recently come to really know what it means to love God. And it's exciting to see it. Because they're hungry. Their fire is burning bright. I mean, they're just blazing. They're hungry for God. They're ready to adjust their lives to His will. And they're falling more and more in love with Him every day. And for those of us who've been walking with Christ for a while, 
you know, our, I'm not saying our love grows cold, but, but sometimes, you know, it, it changes over time. And, and to be able to see that, it, it rekindles our love for God. It rekindles our passion for Him when we have those new believers mixed in. And it's just an encouragement for us to love God more. Now, on the other end of that spectrum, you've got people who've walked with Christ for a long time They've been with him on the mountaintops, but they've also been with him in the valleys. They've been through the trying, difficult struggles of life. And now you have a new believer, or a fairly recent believer, who's learning to love God and tragedy hits in their lives. How important is it to have someone there who knows the love of God in the midst of trial and conflict, who can come alongside them and say, listen, even in the midst of this, God still loves you, and we love you. It is an encouragement for us to grow in our love for God as we gather together with other believers. We can do that, obviously. You can discover God's love on your own, but, and, and to a certain degree, that's what we have to do, come to our personal faith in Jesus Christ. But, but as we grow together in our knowledge of God and His love, We need each other. We need the encouragement to go deeper, to discover more of His love, to trust Him even when times are hard. We need one another to help us to love God more, to show us more of what that love of God is all about. And that's one of the aspects that we get in a grace group. And that is an encouragement to love God more fully, more deeply, more genuinely. And we experience it along with one another and encourage one another in that. But grace groups are also training grounds for learning to love one another. As I said, we're not all alike. Some of us are loud. I'm one of those people, if you hadn't noticed. Others of us are pretty quiet a little more reserved. We don't, we're not as boisterous. We're not as outgoing as others. Some of us have been Christians a long time. Some of us are newborn babes in Christ. Some of us have rough edges. Okay, most of us have rough edges. But others seem to have had those edges smoothed off by their walk with God through life. Seem to be a little more stable. Some of us come from fairly stable home lives. We had a mother and father in the home who loved us, and we grew up, and everything was fairly stable. Others of us come from from home lives that were an absolute wreck. Utterly, I mean, it is the definition of dysfunctional. That's where you came from. You see, we all come from different places, different walks along life, but God calls us to come together and to love one another in spite of our differences. Now you go, well, are you sure? Let's look at the example of one of the... Well, one of the first small groups that we see in the New Testament, that would be Jesus and his disciples. Think about that group he brought together. You've got these fishermen, these weather-worn fishermen. And I don't know if fishermen were then like they are now, but some of the fishermen I know have a tendency to exaggerate just a little bit. I mean, you know, they'll they'll come back and talk about the fish they caught or or the one that got away. That's always the best one. And they, they tend to exaggerate a little bit. And, and they've kind of got their own little niche thing going on over here. And then, and then you throw into that group a tax collector. Now, you and I don't care too much for people collecting taxes either. But it was a little different back then. These tax collectors, some of them were pretty shady characters. 
And they take the cut for the government, but they take a cut for themselves. And they live pretty high off the hog. Well, not if they were Jewish, I guess. But they lived well. They lived very well, but they did so at the expense of other people. And then Jesus goes and he picks a zealot. Now, what is a zealot? Well, the Romans would have called him a terrorist. And he tosses him into the group. And you look at this and you go, are you serious? This group of people put together, they're going to kill each other. But this is what Jesus called them to do. John 13, 34, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Sometimes it's difficult to love people who are like us. But it's certainly difficult to love people who aren't like us at all. Who have different backgrounds, different personalities. But our love for others is not based on their worthiness to be loved. But on the love that we have been shown by Jesus Christ. A love that we didn't deserve. We did nothing to earn but was given freely to us. As Jesus pours his love into us, we are called to pour out his love into the lives of our brothers and sisters. But you know what? It goes even further than that. Loving each other, other believers, is one thing. But loving our neighbor, that can be something entirely different. In Luke chapter 10, there's a similar teaching here of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus goes on to get this question. And the question was this, who is my neighbor? If you're calling me to love my neighbor like I love myself, who is my neighbor? Now, they would have expected, the Jewish crowd would have expected Jesus to say, well, your fellow Jews, that's your neighbor. But Jesus instead tells them a story to illustrate a point. And I'm going to go ahead and ask you, I'm going to put it up on the screen, but I'm going to ask you that if you've got your Bibles, you may want to mark this, Luke chapter 10 verses 30 to 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 37. And this is a story that Jesus told in response to that question, who is my neighbor? And I think it helps us this morning as we come to understand, if I'm to call to love my neighbor, who exactly is that? Here's the story. We'll pick up in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for whatever expenses, extra expense you may have had. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Which of these was the neighbor? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now for us, this story does not have the same impact that would have had when Jesus told it because Jews and Samaritans did not get along at all. 
maybe the best thing that you and I can compare it to would be uh, Jews and Iranians. Okay? There's this, there was this utter hatred. The Jews considered the Samaritans to be unclean. They considered the Samaritans to be little, worth more, little more than dogs. It was just, it was a bad relationship. The, the Samaritans, on the other hand, considered the Jews to be prideful, stuck up, judgmental. And in essence, uh, both of them were right a little bit, but it created this huge rift. And so they didn't get along. They didn't even eat together. Uh, there was a time in our country, a bad time in our country, where there were separate sections for whites and blacks. Okay? That gets more into the picture of what you're seeing here, but probably the animosity ran even deeper between Jews and, uh, and Samaritans at that time. And so what we see is here's a story of three people passing by a guy who's been beaten up and robbed. And he's half dead on the side of the road. The priest and the Levite were Jewish religious leaders, okay? They weren't just people who showed up at synagogue from time to time. These were people who knew God's word, who knew God's law, who had read that they are to love God and to love their neighbor as their self. And yet when they came to this place, for whatever reason, they passed by on the other side. They didn't engage. They didn't stop to help. Who stops to help this Jewish man but a Samaritan? A Samaritan stops to help this Jewish man. And this would have actually blown the minds of all those who were listening because this shouldn't be happening. But Jesus is trying to prove a point. The neighbor to the man was the one who had compassion on him in spite of the differences, in spite of the challenges, in spite of the cultural barriers that existed. The neighbor to the man was the one who had mercy on him. Now, who are our neighbors? And how are we to respond as neighbors? Our neighbors are those around us in our community who have a need. And i got to tell you, you don't have to live around here very long to recognize that we got lots of needs. Both physical needs and spiritual needs. There are needs all around us. And we're to respond as neighbors. We're to consider that person our neighbor and respond to them. Now we can respond as individuals. Certainly the Samaritan did. But what I've discovered is that we get an increased level of support and encouragement and make even a bigger impact when we together, as grace groups, begin to minister to those who have needs. And I could sit here and brag on some of our groups right now who do that very thing, who go out as a group and they minister together. It it makes it a lot more fun, too. It makes it you know, just a time you can share in the joy, but you're sharing and doing something together for the kingdom of God and in, in lo- showing God's love to a neighbor. That's a powerful thing. We can be more effective as we respond in a small group. And that's one of the reasons that every year we call on each grace group to have at least one ministry project a year, at least one. Some have more than that. Some are trying to do once at one a month. That's a great thing. But at least once, we want you serving together, shoulder to shoulder, showing love, the love of God, to your neighbor. In other words, our groups are not simply to look upward at God and inward at themselves. We are to look outward on a hurting, needy world. Now, as you consider becoming part of a grace group, I want you to understand, it's a Bible study, but it's more than a Bible study. It's a, it's a ministry group. We serve together, but it's more than a ministry group. It's a, it's a support group in a lot of ways. 
but it's more than a support group. It's a social gathering, a place where we can come and build relationships, but it's even more than that. I want to give you kind of, as we have worked through this and begin to discover how grace groups actually look when they're functioning well. This is what a grace group looks like. A grace group is a gathering of people committed to the Lord, committed to one another, and committed to a mission of reaching the world for Christ. Not just about coming together to love God. It's not just about coming together to love one another. It's about coming together to love God, love one another, and express His love to a hurting, needy world. A grace group is a a gathering where truth and life come together in the context of genuine relationships. In other words, we, in, we help one another grow as we discover more about uh, where we are in life and where they are in life, and, and we bring God's truth to life. It is amazing. Here I am, supposedly, well, seminary trained, supposedly the expert in the group, and yet when I get in there, what I discover is the wealth of wisdom that comes from those in the group that is an encouragement and a challenge to me as I grow. I would never get that studying alone. I need that context of those relationships. The grace group is also a gathering where we grow in our love for God, our love for one another, and our love for those outside the walls who have needs, whether they're spiritual or physical. It is a place for that love to grow, a gathering for that love to begin to grow as we encourage one another and challenge one another and hold one another accountable. Now, do you need to be in a grace group to be a member of Grace Fellowship? No. Nobody's going to... We're not locking the doors, by the way, and checking the sheet to make sure your name's on it before you leave today. That's not what we're all about. But will it be a blessing to you if you're part of a grace group? Absolutely. Ask anyone who's part of one. Will you be a blessing to others by being a part of a grace group? Absolutely. Ask those who've been blessed because of their connections in a grace group. Will it supercharge your faith? Will it supercharge, be like spiritual, like like that miracle grow for your, your spiritual growth to be a part of a group? I can almost guarantee it. Will it move you along this path of growth that God has for you? That I do guarantee. I'm in a grace group. I'm committed to a grace group. It has been a blessing to me. And those who are in my group understand, understand that blessing. They understand the, the joy it is to come together. It's not always easy. There are nights where, you know, I just go, oh, man, you know, got to get up and go. Been a hard day. Been a long day. Want to get up and go. But I got to tell you, when you get there, when you connect, reconnect, there is such a joy and a vitality to see those people again. Again, I'll I, I put it this way. A grace group is where people know you and love you anyway. Okay, I don't have to wear a mask to grace group. I don't have to pretend at grace group. I can go just as I am. If I'm struggling with something, I can share it with them. If I'm tired, I can share it with them. And guess what? They can do the very same thing to me. And together we can encourage one another. And so my hope and my prayer is that each one of you will find a way to connect in that small group of believers to connect in a grace group. We're not going to make you do it. But when you do, you'll discover the power of small. The power of being connected in a smaller group of people 
who love you and encourage you and challenge and study God's word with you and help you find ways to apply it to your life, who are with you through the struggles of life, who celebrate with you the good things that are happening in your life, and who are going to be there. One of the saddest things that I've encountered as a pastor over the years are people who never developed relationships in the life of the church. And they wonder why, when I was sick, no one was here. When I lost a parent, no one was here. When I was ill, no one noticed. I got to tell you, even in a group this size, it's easy to overlook people. It, it's really easy. To over- Somebody will come up to me and say, have you seen so-and-so? I'm going, well, now that you mention it, no. But guess what happens if someone misses a group on Wednesday night or Sunday night or Thursday night, whatever it is. Guess what happens? Everybody knows. And they can pick up the phone and say, hey, what's, what's happening? Is everything okay? We're praying for you. I want to encourage it as strongly as I know how. Consider it. If you've never tried it, try it. But plug in. Discover the power of small. And I promise you, it'll be a blessing to your life. And you'll be a blessing to others.